Happy Friday, people, and welcome to yet another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. Happy hour edition, of course. A chilly day in Orlando, Florida. Feels like 39 degrees, so you will catch me on this couch all day, sipping on an iced coffee with oat milk. Not quite the beverageino like most Friday happy hours, but as you know, I'm your host, Samantha Marks. Glad to be here this morning, and y'all, today, if you are in the social media sphere at all, Even a little bit, you know this guy from the golf Twitter world. I didn't even know he had a real name until a few hours ago when I asked him what I should call him on this podcast. To you, he's Monday Q. To his friends and family, he's probably also Monday Q, but his real name is Ryan French, the go-to source for all things Monday qualifiers, mini tours, fun facts, witty tweets that make us laugh, and more. Ryan, the man, the myth, the legend, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time to us today. Wow, what an intro, Samantha. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> of course. Hey, it's easy to write about somebody that's uh, that makes me laugh every day. So how, tell us a little bit about how you got started into all of this. You did an interview with Golf.com. I read it today. They wrote a very nice article about what you've been up to, how it started. The headline reads, Meet the Man Unearthing the Triumphs and Tragedies of the Monday Qualifier Life. If you could sum that up um, and tell us how you got here, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy three years or two and a half years, whatever, however long I've been doing this. Yeah, I'll try to keep my story kind of short. I played college golf, and then it was like my moment that I realized I was not talented enough to even consider uh, playing professionally or anything like that. So, um, But my dad and I used to make a yearly trip after I graduated to go caddy on a mini tour. And so through that, met some guys and lucky enough to, I never caddied full time, but I've been lucky enough to caddy at Q School and a few Corn Ferry events and a ton of Monday qualifiers, a bunch of mini tours across the the country. And then fast forward many years, our son had brain surgery about two and a half, three years ago. I've just always been a golf nerd. And so uh, I was in the restaurant business and I decided to leave my job to kind of help, help get my son back to health. And the plan was to be off for like two or three months and then go back to work and start back again. And uh, so I was actually caddying in a Monday qualifier about three years ago for a friend. And he said, I said, Hey, I think I might start a Twitter account to just have a place that people can come see Monday qualifiers. And I've said it a lot, Samantha. I, I don't know how many followers I have, like 42,000. It's about, <laughs> it's about 41,900 more than I ever thought in a million years. It was really a place to like, for friends and family that I knew uh, like to look at Monday qualifiers to have a place to go. So I had, uh, I very greatly underestimated how many golf nerds there are in the world for sure. <laughs> as, as did I, I don't have near the following you did, but I was like, damn, why do these people want to hear what I have to say? I, I had the same exact feeling and, and it's awesome. But how do you, like, how did you grow with your following? What do you do differently now that maybe you did before, or do you do anything differently? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I've learned some things for sure along the way. Um, I think there there was a point that, you know, I made pro golf sound uh, impossible. And for the most part, it, it really is. But I've really yeah. kind of transferred to like trying to just tell more stories of these guys and give people an honest view of what men and women on both sides of pro golf go through outside of the PGA and LPGA tours. Um, you know, I think from a, a broad perspective, people think of golf as elitist and, you know, everybody's flying in private jets and 
and really I've tried to to do it. But yeah, I've learned some lessons for sure. Um, I really, what, what has worked for me up until now is telling stories that I think are interesting. Um, and so I really try to do that. Of course, as I've grown and you get sponsors and those kind of things, you have to do, you know, you mm -hmm. have to have tweets about that and those kind of things. So it's changed for sure. But at the core, I really just try to tell stories that I think are interesting. It's worked up till this point. So <laughs> I'm going to try to keep doing it. Yeah. So tell me about why you feel so passionately about those underlying stories. I mean, obviously it's like you said, because you saw it firsthand and I played college golf. I know about it as well, but to the average Saturday, Sunday watcher who turns on golf channel at three o'clock, they know nothing about that backside of how these players got there. Um, and for people, you know, you look like Brooks, Justin Thomas, Justin Johnson, maybe they didn't have the same path that the people that you're reporting on do. But why is this so important to spread this message to all of the golf world? You know, I say a lot of times is I kind of, I mean, I knew of it, but I didn't know. And so I was out on our first trip, my dad and I, caddying on the Canadian tour. This is pre-McKinsey tour, just when it was a, a very good mini tour. And um, my dad and I used to camp. That was our tradition when we did these trips. And we're in the bathroom of the of the thing. I was brushing my teeth or whatever. And a player came in and I was like, what, mm -hmm. what is, you know, like, why is he here? Like, just, it just boggled my mind that a player who was playing professionally was camping while playing in a golf tournament. Uh, I was kind of like, I think a lot of people are, it's like, oh, he's going to stay at a Holiday Inn or whatever. And so, yeah. And then the next day, uh, kind of the, t what I say is, is the two main points is I think a lot of people don't see that side. This guy happened to live in a tent and that's how he saved money. And then the next thing is the talent that these guys have. Um, I caddied for and became friends with Ryan Yip, who was playing out there at the time. And I play, played a practice round with him the next day and I knew I'd played college golf, but like it was the easiest 66 I'd ever seen. And, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, why is this guy not on tour? And, you know, I just learned from there that this is the life. And I think, I think it's important. Like I said, I think golf is, is thought of as elitist a lot from a casual golf fan perspective. And there's kids and guys, young men and women living in cars and, you know, living in campers and staying in crappy hotels and staying at people's houses for free to chase their dream. And I think it needs to be told because I think golf has a different side that we see on the golf channel. Well, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but a lot of the talent that you report on from the day-to-day -day basis, Monday qualifiers, mini tours, it's not far off from what you see on the PGA Tour. These people just have to be in the right place at the right time shooting one or two strokes better, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, obviously, Corey Connors is an example. I mean, there's there's so many examples. Um you know, Doc Redman, Nate Lashley. I mean, Nate Lashley, when he won at the Rocket Mortgage, missed at the Monday qualifier that week. Um, it, it is a razor thin line for the guys, the top guys on many tours um, and the guys who are making it on on the on the PJ Tour. Michael Gligich, you know, played 13 years on many tours and finally is on the PJ Tour. And he says, if you went to the went to a PJ Tour range you would probably be able to recognize the top 50 players in the world but he said from the 51st on to a mini tour player there's just not that much of a difference and he's yeah. he's 100 percent right to and like untrained eye 
if you went and played with a very good mini tour player, it would look exactly the same as, you know, what you see on TV. It's just he hasn't played well or she hasn't played well at Q school or at a Monday qualifier or, you know, has one small part of his game that doesn't, you know, translate, whatever. It's just a razor thin line. And, and even guys who are out there have gone through a lot of struggles. You know, they, now that they're rich and successful PGA tour winners, Kevin Kisner is a great example. I mean, he lost his card three times. So I, I think it's, it's just a side that people don't see, you know, they, they see the TV golf and huge checks and finish last and get 20 grand and those kind of things. And they don't see this side of it. So I know on your Twitter page, like I followed you for a long time, but people who listen to this, obviously, if you're not following him, you're missing out. Not only do you give great insight, also very funny content, Ryan, I love your page, but tell me about if you could pick maybe one thing in the last year, one story, one thing that you looked at, even though you're in this space every day and you were like, holy crap. How is that possible that this person played like this and didn't make it to this? If you could give me one story, what would it be? Yeah. uh, I mean, I use Matt Picanso a lot because he's uh, a really good story. And I mean, he's amazingly talented. Um, Matt uh, lost an important family member to him, his godfather, and kind of like lost direction in his life. Uh, quit golf completely, only played one year of college, small college golf, quit golf completely, didn't touch a club for five years. And then at 26 kind of um, said, I'm going to get my life back in order and, and golf is going to be a part of it. And now at 37, he's probably one of the best, if not the best developmental tour player out there. I mean, the guy's won 16 multi-day tournaments and 41 starts. And, I, and I've seen him play and he's just I mean, he's really good. Uh, he had a run last year and obviously developmental tours don't play on the hardest courses for sure. But I mean, he shot, but you still got to get it. Exactly. exactly. I mean, he shot, (laughs) he won seven out of 11 starts and shot, I think below 64, like seven or eight times. I mean, he's amazingly good. And, and again, it's, and exactly that. I mean, he hasn't, you know, he missed by one at second stage or he's missed by two at second stage. And literally those two strokes, if you handed Matt Picanso a card, he would do well on the Corn Ferry Tour. But it's just not easy to get it. So, yeah. yeah, when I see him, I mean, he just won again last week. It's like, why is that guy not out there? So, yeah, he would be the example of like he is re- really, really good golfer. And, you know, he's playing in events most people have never heard of. So for people who might not understand, like, how this works, you say he's playing good, he's winning, he's winning, he's winning. What does he need to do differently? Like, why isn't he on the tour? If I if I had no idea about the scope, explain it to me in layman's terms what he would need to do to get there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very much just playing good at the right time. In his case, I, I obviously, there's a lot of players out there trying to chase it that have no business being out there. But, right, but in right. Matt's case... I mean, he's just not playing well in, you know, October, November, December, not playing at his best, or maybe it's a mental block or whatever. You know, some guys don't play well in Q school, whatever that reason is. Uh, Russell Knox is a perfect example. Russell Knox didn't get through Q school five straight years, never has gotten through Q school. Monday qualified, then finished second, and, you know, his career took off. But I don't know if it's an individual thing for each person, you know, Matt 
and I have become friends and he's going to do a schedule different re- leading up to Q school this year and see if that helps. But at the end of the day, you have to play well in one tournament a year and that's Q school um, outside of Monday qualifying and having success, which is hard to do. You really got to play good three weeks a year. All the rest doesn't really matter if you're playing developmental tour golf. Uh, Q school is all that matters. That is, and it's so true because like you said, we all know, especially people who played college golf, people who, you know, are still out there, maybe shouldn't be, but on the same spectrum, we also know people who are out there and they should be on the bigger tours. It's just those three weeks a year where you have to figure out how to peak at the right time. Explain to me how Q school works differently for the men and the women, if you know the answer to that, because it's very different. It is. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know a ton about the women's game i mean it's it's gotten so different now i yeah. you get to metris tour status i think through second stage but for the men if you don't get through second stage there is no status whatsoever you are back to playing monday qualifiers and you know playing mini tour events and and doing those things so there is no and you can't go directly to the lpj tour i mean to the pj tour anymore so you have to go through the corn ferry tour so you're all playing for really essentially 40 cards. If you get to final stage, you technically have a card, but you have to Monday qualify. You're not going to get a ton of starts, those kind of things. So yeah, I mean, uh, 5,000 people teed up for 40 cards, basically. Gosh. And it's, and it's the same weeks every year, right? So you have to figure out how to make your schedule to where that's when you're playing your best golf. And that's what people struggle with and is what's hard to do. Yeah, exactly. I go back to Russell Knox. I mean, I did a stat on Russell Knox. He missed at second stage uh, two times, once by 19 strokes and one by 15 strokes. I mean, this is a top 50 player in the world. I don't know what he is now, but yeah. he's a, for whatever reason, he played too much leading up to it or, you know, he just doesn't play well at the end of the year or whatever reason. Uh, a top 50 player wasn't even sniffing it at second stage. I mean, Harry Higgs, Harry Higgs beat in his first two tries at Q school beat a combined two people. God. So it's really about, you know, again, and you have to, it's trial and error. Matt, Matt Picasso is a perfect example. What worked last year didn't, or last, there's no Q school this year. The previous time he missed at Q school didn't work. So this year he's going to try a different way to leading up to it because, and again, it's pressure, as you know, Samantha, I mean, like you're to say your life and career, and especially for guys like Matt, who are getting older, it's hard to not block that out that a double bogey here or a triple there ends your career. That's tough mentally to, to fight. But what people don't understand too, is this is a penny pinching career. If you're traveling around on the mini tours not even on the Corn Ferry Tour, the Symmetra Tour, tours smaller than that. They've got all, all tours all over the state where you're competing for very minimal money. And if you don't compete in the top, if you don't finish in the top couple people in the field, you're not even going to make your money back for playing in that event. Give us some insight into what that looks like on a week-to-week basis and how really people know it's a grind, but kind of explain it to us in, in a way that it could really sink in. Yeah, if you're going to play a decent year, and have a good, relatively decent uh, mini tour schedule and those kind of things. I mean, it's going to cost you sixty grand to tee it up, and that's end of story. That's and that doesn't even really include bills and all that kind of stuff. That's just travel and entry fees and all those kind of things. And and like you said, 
maybe 2%, I don't know what that number is, 5% of mini tour players are actually, uh, you know, making a living by paying their bills on their own. Uh, but that's just the top of the top. Most guys and definitely on the women's side, I mean, even girls on the symmetric tour, they're yeah. losing money. You have to have financial support. And if you don't come from family money uh, or you don't have some, you know, you need someone to back you. There's no way to make it. And a lot of the times those people have to figure that out on their own too. They can't afford an agent, can't afford representation exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I got a call from a player yesterday. Hey, how do I draw up a contract? I have a guy interested in giving money. Can you get me in touch with a player who's drawn up a contract? You know, they have no idea how to do yeah. that stuff. They can't afford a lawyer to draw it up. They can't do those things. It's, it's very much trial and error. And to ask, you know, there's not just a ton of people who want to give uh, people who want to go chase their dreams 60 grand to go chase it. And not only that, but I think the average years between turning pro and getting to the PGA Tour is like four and a half. So now you're looking at 60 grand a year times four and a half years. You know, you got to have a lot of support in order to, yeah. to get there. Financially, it's just a huge struggle. There is plenty of number one, two, three, four ranked players in the world who are working office jobs now. And it's just a grind. You know, I mean, Norman Jung was the best amateur in the world. He was going to walk on the PGA Tour by everyone's standard. I mean, he can't break 70 at, at a Monday qualifier now. So uh, it's just financially, it's that stops tons and tons of players. It's such a financial grind to do it that a lot of players just, you know, can't make it work. Yeah. So what does that look like? You know, when the final decision is made, I'm sure, I mean, even just my friends who've tried to make it, they think about stop pl stopping playing for a while because, you know, it's taxing monetarily, it's taxing mentally, it's taxing physically when you're, you know, going to these events, a couple strokes off from making some money and you just fall short again and again and again. What are the conversations that you've had with players who end up stop pursuing their dream for those reasons? What, what was kind of the final straw in the last thought before they quit yeah i you know i use jake shulman as an example i talked to him after he monday qualified in the to the window and he had started playing well leading up to that and i said you know what changed and he said i really thought about quitting pro golf is not everything that i thought it would be it's financially grinding and i've missed my girlfriend's you know birthday and i'm never home for my parents and all my friends have moved on and and i think I think that is the reality of what pro golf looks like just takes its toll on, on men and women that are tracing it. You know, they're tired of staying in people's houses that they don't know and living paycheck to paycheck and going to ask money, you know, ask more people for money because they didn't make it through Q school again. I think it's just a culmination of all of those things. It's pretty consistent across the board. They all want to do it. Obviously, they would love to do it. But um, yeah, I think finances definitely stops the most people for sure. But I think there's a lot of factors in there. Like people, you know, a lot of players give presentations at their clubs to get money. They don't want to do yeah. that five years in a row and say like, I haven't made it again. <laughs> I'm, you know, going to go do it again. So I think just the overall, and I mean, you know, you're around pro golf. It's hard to have a personal life when you're grinding. Like it's, it's hard to have a relationship when you're living in your car or tent and never home and don't have any money and 
all the things that come with being on the developmental tour level, it's, you know, it's hard, it's hard taxing part of the account. I want to give that, you know, honest insight is, is like, Hey, it's not easy off the course, just as hard as it is on the course to have, I just talked to Jared Wolf, you know, him and his wife, their first year major marriage, he was playing in Latin America and they're arguing all the time over FaceTime. Just how to learn those kind of things. is just, yeah, it's taxing for a lot of people. People don't think about that kind of stuff though. It's, and, and like I, like you said, this is, this whole account was, was built to kind of bring that insight to people. What do you think is if you could pick one story that you know about on the women's game? Um, I know you don't follow it quite as closely. I don't either, to be quite honest with you, but I know that there's a lot of girls out there who it's very similar. They're really close. They're just not that, not close enough. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just there. The Symmetra tour is great. It's just financially, it's so taxing. Um, I mean, the women have just so much, I mean, the carrot isn't as big, the LPGA, there's plenty of, plenty of women out there that are making money, you know, on the Symmetra tour, there's an entry fee and those kind of things. So it's just a, a struggle. I went out and, uh, and caddied on the mini tour on the Symmetra tour a few times. And I mean, there's just a lot of girls, Janine Jackson, who's now on LPGA. She just got her card. You know, I talked to her in a hot in and she's like, Hey, this is really hard. I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to be out here forever. And she hits it a long way and, and hopefully she'll do it. But I think it's, I mean, those, those similarities are the same, Samantha, like, yeah. you know, it's just a grind. They get tired of it and it's even harder uh, for women, for sure, financially. And even when you get to the LPGA tour, you got to play well to make any money, even up there. And so it's just, I think it's even a bigger mountain for the women because the Symmetra two, you're definitely not making any money while some of the guys in the corn Ferry are. And even when you get to the LPGA, you better be in the top 50 or, you know, you're going to have, probably have to give it up. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's hard to watch, especially, you know, being in the women's game myself or in college and you watch your friends grow up and try to make it and struggle. And it's, it's taxing, like you said, emotionally, financially, um, in every way, but I want to back up to one of the things you said very, at the very beginning of this podcast, a story about your son, Jackson, tell us how he's doing, what ended up happening, um, that kind of pushed you to create this account, stay home for a little bit. Um, give us an update on him. Sure. Yeah. So Jackson has Kiari malformation, which um, actually Bobby Jones had towards the end of his oh, yeah. life. Yeah. So I say all the time is I wanted my kid to be like Bobby Jones, but I <laughs> not <love> this. <laughs> so um, Jackson, a lot of kids have different um, symptoms because of it. it's not life threatening, it's life altering. And so uh, for Jackson, he vomited two or three times every day of his life from the day he was born until the day he had surgery. And, uh, Jeez. and how old is he now? He's five now. And, um, yeah, we went to a million doctors who knew, you know, like they were feeding him too much or he has an allergy or whatever. And, and finally got to an MRI and basically part of his brain is down the hole in his skull and the skull puts pressure on that part of the brain. And so the surgery is to hollow out um, his skull and shape part of his vertebrae back in order for that part of the brain to fit down the skull. So he's doing great now. Uh, He has some like motor skill issues 
he writes with both hands because he can't reach across to his body quite yet. So he writes yeah. the first two uh, letters of his name with his left hand and the next four with his right hand, uh, things like that. But if you, uh, if you met him, you would not know he had, except he has a big, big ass scar on the back of his head. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I say all the time, Samantha is we spent a lot of time in children's hospital when you had surgery and, uh, it gives you some perspective that, that what you're going through is, is not as bad as, as what you think. There's plenty of kids in, in that place that'll never leave. And so I, uh, it definitely gave me a lot of perspective in life for sure, because, um, you, you kind of feel like, oh, it's, it's, uh, so terrible and blah, blah, blah. And then you go in that place and, and you realize it's, there's a lot of people worse off. So yeah, he, uh, he has an MRI every six months to kind of see, he'll probably have to have another surgery within his life. Most kids with Chiari, uh, have a couple surgeries, so he'll probably have to have one more, but if you met him, he's a pretty normal kid. What an awesome story, little inspirational Friday morning story. I'm so glad that he's doing well. A couple last things here, Ryan. Let's talk current golf world. Sure. I know we've talked about we've talked about, you know, what's going on in your life and how we got here and what's important in the mini tour world. But let's talk about your favorite story to watch on the PGA tour this year. And if you say Bryson, I'm uh, <laughs> going to make you pick something else. I will definitely not pick Bryson. Um, I think Will Zalatoris, I mean, it's kind of account related. So I think I have to, uh, I have to go there. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's just super talented. I was lucky enough. I caddied for Mark Baldwin here in the corn Ferry event in Chicago and, uh, lucky enough to play with Will the last day and hit the driver all over and shot 64. The guy's ball striking is ridiculous. And I always judge it like, course as a fan it, it looks ridiculous but I always judge it by the players and uh, Matt Atkins was in our group and uh, and Mark Baldwin and they were both like this is ridiculous and so when other players are talking about how ridiculous it is I mean the guys climbed to almost the top 50 in the world 18 months ago he was playing at Monday qualifiers on the Corn Ferry Tour so um, it'll be really interesting to see when he's playing more consistently on the tour what what he what he looks at. Let's talk. I love that. Will Zalatoris is one of the guys that, I mean, he's, I think he's my age. It's so funny to see yes, you sure. know, these people who are my age, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. You're like, I remember seeing you at NDJ events <laughs> and now you're there and I'm here. So that's, that is what it is. Um, we've got the PNC championship this week. We've got the LPGA tour championship. Um, any storylines to watch from you that you've been looking out at? Obviously we have Charlie Woods in the field with his dad. Um, so that's been exciting to see all of that, but what are you excited about this weekend in golf? I mean, it's mid December and we've got golf to watch. This is pretty rare. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, as far as the PNC goes, um, I, I mean, I'm kind of more interested in like little John Daly uh, even though he's not little anymore. Obviously, the kid has a future. Not that Charlie doesn't. Obviously, his dad's Tiger and whatever, but he's 11. So let's let the kid kind of like <laughs> grow up and figure out what life is like. Hey, I agree with you. And John Daly's going to be a Razorback. So Ex weird. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I tweeted out today, like I muted Charlie and obviously I didn't, but like, <laughs> like enough with an 11 year old. My God. And, uh, but yeah, on the women's side, I mean, it's always interesting. Good to see Lexi playing better. Uh, kind of funny. There was a huge Twitter debate, as you know, about her swing. There was a picture of her, uh, like, finishing her swing 
and a couple of pro, a couple of PGA teaching pros were like, "Oh, he's she's never going to win like that." And of course, she's leading today. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's good that the women's game got a couple of weeks here. Uh, obviously, the father son's taken a little bit of away from it, but it's great to see great to see the women's game uh, have it the sole spotlight for a little bit. So one thing that I did want to ask your opinion on, have you seen, you've seen all of the controversy about Sophia Popov not getting in this sure, event, right? Sure. What are your thoughts on that? Because I have very conflicting um, views on it. And if you don't know what we're talking about, Sophia Popov won the British Open um, in her first LPGA Tour start earlier this year. And now the Tour Championship is this weekend and she did not get a spot. She did not get the sponsor's exemption. Instead, it went to Natalie Golbus, who has not made a cut in 19 starts. I understand there's stipulations, there's rules. It's a weird COVID qualifying year. Um, what are your thoughts on it? And what do you think should happen or should not have happened? So my, my problem is not with the sponsor's exemption. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much conflicted like you are. Listen, CME pays millions of dollars to, uh, to you know, have their name on it. They get to pick whoever the hell they want. And uh, mm -hmm. that's the end of the day. That's, that's the facts. My problem, should, should they have picked Sophia? Maybe. But also, you know, from what I've heard, Natalie's been great to CME and represented them mm -hmm. for a long time. And she's retiring. So I also get that side of it. Um, if I was the guy writing a couple million dollar check to have my company's name on a thing, I would probably pick whoever the hell I wanted to. Um, my, my problem is more of why Sophia isn't in the field. Um, yep. And so the LPGA is the most closed shop of any tour. And that's saying something because the Champions Tour is is very closed. Um, you leave me no Monday qualified twice last year, finished sixth and second, and she didn't get anything for it. You have to win in order to, you know, have a money qualifier. They want to keep names on it. And now it's kind of come back to Burnham because they have a name. You know, she created her own name, Sophia did. And now she's not in the field. Obviously, she'll get there. But the fact that she doesn't have a five-year exemption and the fact that she's not in this field is on the LPGA. It's not on CME, in my opinion. Um, because, again, the CME can pick whoever the hell she wants. And... uh so, yeah, I, I, my issue is with the LPGA Tour rules that doesn't have Sophia in this field on her merit, not on the fact that she didn't get a sponsor's exemption. Yeah, I think that I, I think that that's the same exact conflict that I'm at. I think, you know, I agree with you. If CME wants to give a sponsor's exemption to Natalie, fine. But you're telling me that they couldn't have made room for a major champion this year? The LPGA couldn't have? That's where I struggle with. Agreed. Um, and do, do you remember when Mike Juan, I want to say it was, it was right at the beginning of COVID, something similar happened um, with a different player. And he, you know, did like a press conference thing where he said, you know, we can't make exceptions for everyone, which I understand. But I also understand what you're saying is that it's been one of the most, um, exactly like you put it, closed shops to, um, to try to get into, which is frustrating for the women as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, again, it just creates one less avenue. I mean, the Monday qualifier rule needs to be changed. You leave me know Monday qualified and finish second and sixth. So you should be a member. And the LPJ lose, loses in both of these facts because obviously you leave me knows is going to be a star as she's proven. And yeah. so you lose out on having her be able to market her and see her weekly. 
because you have these closed shop rules. Um, yeah. And the same thing is, you know, Mike Wan came out when the whole social media backlash about Sophia not being in, I think it was the Avion or whatever and said, yeah, well, look yep. at it. Well, you should have looked at it before. Um, because again, they're missing out, uh, instead of great publicity, having one of the, I mean, pro, in my opinion, the best golf story is, is Sophia in their close year end, uh, field with no real competition. Obviously the PNC with Charlie playing is a little bit of competition, but they had the golf spotlight to themselves. And now what they're getting is negative publicity. And it's unfortunate because it, we shouldn't be talking about it. We should be talking about the whole field and those kind of things. And, and now we're adding some negative publicity to an event that the women just don't get a spotlight alone by themselves very often. So, yeah, I put this one on the LPGA, not CME. Um, if uh, I was going to write a Monday Q article or Monday, if I sponsored a Monday Q event, I'm going to pick who I want to be in. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So give us one, one last final question about what we've talked about today. If you could give an elevator pitch to somebody who maybe says, oh yeah, I only watch the PGA tour on Sundays. Why should they follow the smaller storylines like the Monday qualifiers and the mini tours? If you could give one short, succinct explanation why. Yeah, I think that it doesn't, that what you see on TV, I say a lot is, is not what a 90% or more of pro golfers go through. Um, most pro golfers live very moderate, moderately or are not making a living at all. Um, and I think follow the story leading up to the big giant checks is, is a, is a saying I use a lot. Uh, Kevin Kisner is a perfect example. The guy lost his card many times, was going to quit the game, those kind of things. And everyone sees him now and he's won 30 million or whatever he's won and those kind of things. But yeah, follow the story leading up to the big checks. I love that. So we'll close with some rapid fire questions. Ryan, these have nothing to do with okay. anything. So just give me the first thing All you right. think of. Okay. It's, it's, I mean, you're going to be like, <laughs> what is wrong with these questions? Oh, no, but this is how we'll All end right. it. Okay. We'll start off with favorite golf course you've ever played. Uh, the one I grew up on. Uh, yeah. It's a, a little municipal course in, in uh, Northern Michigan. Which is called? Uh, Alpena uh, Country Club. I mean, it's a tiny little 6,000 yard course. Awesome. Preferred seat on an airplane. Definitely aisle. Oh, every man says that. Why is I, that? I just want to get up. I don't want to interrupt people. I just <laughs> get up whenever the hell I want to get up. Okay. Favorite club in your bag? Uh, wedge. Okay. Favorite non-sports celebrity? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, non-sports, favorite non-sports celebrity. Wow. Um, Stumped yeah. there. Um, boy, I, I don't know. Maybe. I'm, Think movies, TV shows, uh, music. Okay. Who do you want to win the Super Bowl? Um, I mean, I'm a Lions fan, but obviously that's not happening. Um, <laughs> Steelers. Okay. LeBron or Michael Jordan? Uh, LeBron. Okay. Favorite kind of pizza? Pineapple and pepperoni. Okay, that's going to be a controversial one. How do you like your steak Rare. cooked? Yes. Rare. Still yes. Mooing. I mean, if it 
Like just just touch it on the grill and bring it out. <laughs> God, okay. Favorite candle scent. What? Favorite this is the most random. Uh, I told you. Uh, I there's tried a candle to where I'm sitting. It's uh, oh, it's fruit punch. That's not well, that's what it is. We'll go with Ew, that. that's disgusting. <laughs> oh god. I don't go I, ahead. That makes okay, Sorry. all right. Favorite movie. Um God, I'm not a big a Boys in the Hood or um, uh, Wider. Okay, favorite vacation you've ever taken? Um, the Waste Management Monday Qualifier. I don't know. That's a joke, obviously. But it was awesome to be at the Monday Qualifier <laughs> at the Waste Management. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. That was so much thank fun. You. Thanks for having me on, Samantha. I appreciate it. Of course. Well, hey, that's all we have for you today, folks. Thanks for listening to another Friday Happy Hour edition of The Stripe Show. Be sure to subscribe so you get every episode right to your phone. Never miss another chance of us here, of us bringing you everything you need to know in the game. I'm your host, Samantha Marks. We'll be back next week. We're so glad you're here. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Make it a great and safe weekend. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast.